Beyond Belief Sobriety is a podcast and community for people who are seeking or who have found a secular path to recovery from addictions of all kinds. Hello, thank you for taking some of your time to listen to our podcast. I hope it's a good experience for you and that it adds a little something extra to your stockpile of recovery capital. In this episode, we'll talk with Mike Collins. Mike is the founder of SugarAddiction.com, and he's passionate about helping people overcome their addictions. He's the author of The Last Resort Sugar Detox, which you can read for free on his website. This was Mike's second appearance on our podcast. He was previously our guest on episode 115, which was posted back in July of 2019. But before we go any further, I would like to thank Soberlink for sponsoring our podcast. We need to talk about alcohol recovery in the workplace. Talking about sobriety and proving it to your employer can be so difficult. And our friends at Soberlink want to help. If you need a reliable way to present documented proof of sobriety to a boss or loved one, Soberlink can help. Soberlink is a high-tech portable breathalyzer system that uses facial recognition technology to verify identity, has unique sensors to ensure that no other air sources are being used, and sends results directly to your specified contacts, so there's no questioning whether or not you took the test and whether or not you altered the reporting. This is why Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring system is considered the gold standard. Being in recovery from alcohol does not define the future of your career. Let Soberlink help. Learn more about Soberlink and request an exclusive $50 off promo code by visiting Soberlink.com BBS. And now, episode 291, Overcoming Sugar Addiction with Mike Collins. Thanks for having me, John. I really appreciate having me back. I, I really appreciate it. I guess uh, uh, I'm excited to uh, share with the folks. I've, I've been recently talking about the community that we're growing, and you just would not believe that the the, lar- the fastest growing segment of the community are people already in recovery from drugs and alcohol who now want to put down shit. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Why do yep. you think that is? You know, I think it's the social acceptability. Um, uh, I think it's, you know, you can give this to a one-year-old with no legal, moral, ethical worries. And, uh, you know, some of the support meetings seem to be a, uh, how shall I say, not a safe place for a food addict. Right. That's for sure. That's for sure. In fact, there yeah. used to be some really bad advice given in AA, and I I, I don't know if it is anymore about um, to eat sugar uh, in, in the beginning of your recovery, which is not not really a good idea. It's in the big book twice. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's it's kind of sad, really. You know, the science, we didn't know the science back then, and it does work. It's like a it truly is like a suboxone, a methadone. It's in a little bit of a step down, you know, from the alcohol. So yeah. And I think that, you know, all of us have probably, you know, if we think back early enough in our childhood, um, you know, some of our earliest memories might have to do with sugar. <laughs> I know that some of mine certainly do. Uh, and I and I remember talking to you about this back in uh, 2019. Um, my memories are of probably as a four year old kid putting sugar on top of already sugary cereal. Yeah, 
Me too. <laughs> we all grew up that way, John. We, we all did. For sure. Absolutely. And, and it's, you know, I mean, again, I, I have nothing against the sugar manufacturers. They were, no one knew, to be honest. We do this big summit every year and uh, talk with all the experts and researchers and MDs and everything. And, you know, the science in the last three to five years has just exploded. I mean, just crazy amounts of real, true, peer-reviewed studies about what's going on with sugar in the human body. So it's been, uh, it's good, you know, and, and moreover, how we intersect it, meaning the addiction community. I have noticed that the ketogenic diet folks have all started to include addiction speakers, food addiction speakers on their stages and in their summits. It's really wild because they can't execute the diets without, they can get a little bit a ways in and you know, lose a couple pounds, but they always fall back to the sugar addiction, which is, you know, I think we may have talked about it. It was literally the original gateway drug and the science is proving that now. Yeah. And, you know, uh, we did talk about that. And I remember just before speaking with you, I spoke with Tommy Rosen and he himself said that sugar was his first drug. Yeah, absolutely. Tommy was on one of my, the last summit actually. And he's, he's a big proponent of the idea that sugar was the original thing that changed our state. It was more unconscious. It is more unconscious because of its ubiquity, because of its uh, cultural acceptance in for children, you know, we don't realize that we're numbing ourselves a little bit. You know, if we're a little afraid, a little scared, a little worried, uh, a little lonely, we have a little bit of sugar and it goes away, but we don't like put the two and two together because it, it is so ubiquitous and so free around, you know, it's like, we can always score some. So, and we don't like think, well, they think you think I want a cookie, not that I'm sad, or, you know what I mean? It's like, it really is some, and the recovery is how do you uncouple those two things, you know? Do you include processed foods with sugar? Absolutely. Ultra processed carbs turn into sugar in your stomach. Grains, sometimes I get a little pushback and even dried fruit and fruit juices. You know, fructose is fructose. The molecule doesn't change. And that's the one that's affecting the, the dopamine receptors, the, you know, all of the feel-good chemicals, even your, uh, you know, your opioid receptors in your body. I mean, literally, it's you know, not much different. You know, your, your body is screaming for the stuff because it gives that same warm feeling. Now, look, by the time we're adults, we're not chasing that warm feeling. We're just fighting off withdrawals. We don't have time for withdrawals, you know. They can be nasty. You know? I wonder if you could help us out a little bit by just sharing a, your personal journey through, you know, sugar addiction, how you realized that you had a problem, wh what you did to get help, and then, you know, through the journey that you're on now. Yeah, happy to. Um, it, it actually goes back a couple generations, um, and it, you know, it, it uh, tracks with what we were talking about. My mother was my favorite sugar junkie. I mean, my mom, her, my grandmother died when she was only eight years old. Okay. And when she passed away, they had to move in. My grandfather and her moved in with my great aunt. He, she was the youngest and everybody else was out of the house. 
and uh, moved in with my great aunt. But they they owned like almost like a whole area. That she, it was like literally a rural hospital. But across the street, cousin Jim owned the convenience. It wasn't a convenience store back then. It was a general store. And uh, they made a deal. My grandfather and cousin Jim, anytime my mother walked into that store, she could have anything she wanted and just put it on his tab. And so it was kind of like my mother literally grew up believing sugar was love. I'm pretty sure she passed away believing that. Okay. Um, You know, and I grew up exactly like you grew up, like putting sugar on sugar, (laughs) on sugary cereal and literally be scraping half an inch of sugar on the bottom with the milk. That's right. I remember that. Right. That was the best part, you know, milk and sugar basically. And it was crazy. And, you know, we used to make bread and butter and sugar sandwiches. Yes, we did that. Yep. Kool-Aid with like three times the mixture, not just one cup, but three. Uh, It was like green sugar or red sugar or whatever. It was crazy. And so, you know, I didn't realize that it was changing my state. I I mean, no one does until until I separate, until we separate them and, and, you know, show them this, that it doesn't compute. But here's what happened. About 14 or 15, I ran into beer. And beer, I knew changed my state. I was kind of shy. You know, I, I could drink behind the high school and talk to girls at the dance. Well, that led to, you know, <laughs> well, you know what it led to. It led to, like, what, what, I'll do the math, 14 years of, like, craziness. And I got sober at 28, right? And I can talk about any of that. I'm happy to. Um kind of an open book about that. But when I did get sober at 28, I literally went right back to the sugar. And and it was literally, I mean, it was, it was um, pizza and pasta. I didn't eat any real food. It was all uh, ultra processed carbs. They used to call me the Mountain Dew man. Like I would eat, drink eight, 16 ounce returnable bottles. They called me the Mountain Dew man at the store every single day. And I come back, get my other eight pack, for the day, you know, like that. And it was crazy. And so anyway, um, keep, I, you know, I, I went on and I read a book, uh, I was trying to get healthy. And after I get sober called sugar blues and sugar blues was written by a guy named William Duffy and Duffy ended up marrying Gloria Swanson, the famous movie star. Right. And they promoted that book in the late seventies and early eighties. That's when I got it. Uh, I've been sober 37 years. So when I got sober, I, I read the book, right? And so I raised a couple. This was the craziest thing. I met a woman in recovery. We had we had twins, and somehow I ta- after reading this book and you know studying a little, I talked her into having kids, no sugar, no flour, no caffeine in the womb, or until it and it lasted till they were six years old. And that experiment was, I mean, I could go into detail about it, but it worked. I mean, my children's brain developed better, okay? And I'm talking, you know, uh, perfect scores on their college entrance exams, which is nearly impossible, you know what I mean? And it was just, it's nothing I did. I'm not that smart. And, you know, it, it just... I went on to have a regular business career after that. I didn't like dwell on it, but the kids grew up in a strange environment and they said, dad, you should write a book someday. So I did write a book and it was on Amazon 2018. 
And I bought sugaraddiction.com in like 08 or 09 or something. And I, while I was still working, I was still putting out good information. But it wasn't until um, the last four or five years when I uh, started to coach and grow this community that we have now, the platform, the Zoom meetings, all that kind of stuff, that I really started to deeply understand this is an important part of the process. This is a substance use disorder recovery. It has nothing almost to do with food. It has nothing to do with chocolate or soda. Yes, you have to get an abstinence and try and keep the abstinence. But the way that you keep the abstinence is not willpower or white knuckling, just like any other addiction recovery substance use disorder recovery. It's all about, you know, finding out maybe what the trauma was, finding out how to deal with your emotions different, uh, differently, better in a different way that doesn't include a substance. So it's been an adventure. You know, it's kind of turned into the sugar-free man there, wherever that is. And uh, it's just been a, a labor of love, to be honest with you. It's been something where I, people... If I tell them, spend five minutes in my inbox, five minutes on my instant messenger, or just get on one of the calls where people call me for coaching, where, you know, 20% of them are crying because they're 100, 200, 300 pounds overweight. They can't, they, they just can't stop. They know what they need to do, but they can't stop. And the reason they can't stop is because they never think of it as an addiction, a deep addiction. They, they think of it as, you know, a diet thing, a weight thing an exercise thing. So. And probably feel guilty or that they're somehow at fault uh, for, for their situation. Oh, absolutely. You know, the stigmatization of weight and, and the failure to keep a promise to yourself every morning, you know, drinking and drugging, you know, ah, I'll quit today. Now I'll quit tomorrow, whatever. Same thing here. And by four o'clock, you're back in it, you know, whatever it is. So, yeah, it's, uh, and again, the largest thing that I've discovered is this is a substance use disorder recovery and sugar does not get the respect of the other drugs. You know, it's a very well-known construct in the world of alcohol and drug recovery and treatment. If you started using drugs and alcohol at 14 or 15 years old, you stop growing emotionally. Very well known, very well understood. Think about this now back to the womb or back to one or two years old where your entire childhood, your parents even did it to you, you know. They didn't have time. They'd give you a cookie and send you to the TV if you were crying or upset or scared or lonely. And it just, it's not computing. And now what's happening is the science is proving what happened, you know, and now we're able to fix the problem, hopefully slowly. Yeah, I've, I've spoken with doctors before who have described um, this as just any other substance use disorder. Uh, it does the same thing as you mentioned in the brain, getting the dopamine spikes uh, and, and the like. So tell me this, what would a person who is ready to go off sugar, what would they experience? You know, the withdrawals, you know, I like to tell them, think nicotine, not heroin. You oh, know, yeah. And that's hard. Yeah, that's really hard. One of the harder ones. But it's real. And if you got any habit at all, you know, and if you try and do caffeine at the same time, which we recommend, because 
it's wired together, fired together, right? They're, I've heard they're, that. Yeah, they're hitting the same uh, chemical reward systems, dopamine, serotonin. I've when heard I say, that. You know, I used yeah. to hear the d- advice when I was first getting sober that um, when I smoked, don't quit smoking and drinking at the same time. That's the wrong advice. I hear now that you really should stop both at the same time. It is difficult. <laughs> flour, sugar, and caffeine at the same time. In day three, you're going to be incapacitated, okay? You're going to not be able to get out of bed. You're going to have a pounding headache. You're going to be starving. You're going to be, you know, lethargy. You're going to be irritable and uh, depressed. And it's not a depressed where you need to go get antidepressants. It's a physical depression. Your dopamine, and when I say dopamine, I mean norepinephrine, GABA, serotonin, oxytocin, your adrenals, your your opioid receptors, all of these feel goods in your body are affected by sugar. And so when you stop those thinned out receptors, there's less of them, you're not manually hitting them, you're not manually pumping them. And obviously, there's going to be a little bit of an upset for a time. But it's not, you know, it's not undoable. It's not unmanageable. You can get to the other side. Sometimes, depending on your habit, it takes 10, 15 days, sometimes even 30. But the sun will come out eventually, right? And then the real work starts. Actually, I like to say it starts during because the common refrain is, I'm losing my mind. Oh, I bet. Mm-hmm. You know, because all of a sudden you're raw to these emotions, both everyday stressors of life and finance and kids and everything, and the old trauma that might start to bubble up or surface, right? Which we're all familiar with in recovery stuff. So yeah, it's a, it takes about the arc of a podcast, the arc of a summit interview or something to kind of piece all this together. And the exciting part for me, as I mentioned before, is that I believe the recovery community holds the key to the metabolic syndrome obesity crisis that we have in the world today because they understand the addiction piece of the puzzle, right? They understand this part of it. When I bring someone in who just wants to lose weight, that person makes it or breaks it on their willingness to accept the fact that they have an addiction. And hopefully, fingers crossed, the addiction community already is already there, and I don't have to drag them across that finish line. Yeah, the community aspect has always been important to me uh, from the very beginning, and still is. Uh, I wonder, you know, if you can talk a bit about the community that you have today and how you've built that, and where you might like to see it going, and how does it work? Yeah, no, thanks for that. I appreciate it. Um, so we have about twenty thousand people. In, in one form. Um, and, you know, and like you can you'd imagine, most of them are new people. But then as they move on, we have other forums that are more advanced. We have uh, two, soon to be three Zoom meetings every single day that are staffed by facilitators trained by me. Um, and they're trained in, sh- in, in addiction recovery, not I mean, we have health coaches, don't get me wrong. And at the beginning, I really wanted it to be kind of 50-50 health coaching and substance use disorder recovery stuff. But in reality, it's starting to shift. It's more like 70% sub, uh, substance use disorder. People do need some guidance on eating whole food. They know they need to eat whole Yeah, it's food. really not easy, is it? 
No, it's not. Not in this society. I mean, eighty-five percent of the food in the grocery store has sugar in, in boxes, bags, cans, takeout, everything. It's it's insane, really. It, it, really, it's it's hard for you talk about the construct in twelve-step uh, or, or other recoveries of eternal vigilance. This eternal vigilance is what is the you know you can put the plug in the jug, but you got to walk this tiger three times a day. You know you got to figure out what to eat, like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And it's it's difficult when you're looking at a society that's immersed in it. So yeah. So do you have like a defined um, kind of program that people should follow, or do you help people um, kind of find their own path? How how would how oh, do you we have that? a thirty day detox? The core of our our group. Uh, it's almost like the ticket to the game is the the original abstinence that you would obtain, and that's a thirty day detox where I come into your inbox every day with a video um, and a lesson that's between 10 and 20 minutes long. And you just watch that video. The first week is just a prep week. You don't even have to start detoxing. But the next 21 days, I walk you through what to expect when what we were talking about before so that they're not like surprised. They're like nervous and and, and anxious and, and irritable and, you know, moody and sleepy and hungry. I mean, all these kind of things happen all at once. And, you know, people, like I said, they're a little weepy. Sometimes they're, they don't understand why they're crying even. It's because they're starting to feel again. And then, and so, yeah, so we walk you through that. And then the second part of it is after 30 days at your own count, we have a detox to lifestyle program. And that has like a hundred videos in it of all of our old summits, educators, you know, MDs, PhDs, and that kind of stuff. And we ask the folks to watch one of those videos a day too. So it, it takes them out about 90 days, right? And that's, and more than that, it's the, you know, 20, 30 people in each Zoom meeting uh, or more sometimes. And then the forum itself is just like, Dare I say, a, the most loving community that I've ever oh, been. Oh, that's nice. You know, it's it's just people helping other people. Because here's the big thing. Likely, and this is 90 plus, probably closer to 95% of our people, are the only ones in their community, uh, well, not their community, their family, their nuclear family, that's that are doing this. Their kids aren't doing it. Their spouses aren't doing it. So it... it, it you know, we're tribe animals. We like to do stuff together. We need to do stuff together for it to work. And so the community aspect is just huge, you know. But are most people, before they decide to make this change, are are they feeling some sort of pain in their life that is motivating them? Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about myself, Mike, because I, I eat sugar and I know it's not good for me. <laughs> what would motivate me to change, you know, or should I even worry about it? Well, there's a breakdown that, you know, has become pretty systematic or, or pretty uh, predictable is that about a third of people are sugar addicts. They're, they biochemically, when they ingest it, they can't stop like any other drug or alcohol issue. And about a third of people are what we call harmful users. You may fall in that category um, where if they were to reset then they could use sugar occasionally. And then a third of people are normies. We all hate them. No, just 
They can drink, they can have a soda or they can have a half a cookie and leave it there and not think about it for a month. Like a person with that can do a half a glass of wine or whatever. So that's how it kind of breaks down. But you have to, you know, you make that decision for yourself, just like when you're recovering from drugs and alcohol. And I'll tell you the answer to your question is most folks have, and it's the strangest thing, and I don't know how it happened. And all of my contemporaries say the exact same thing. 90 plus percent of our people are women. 90 plus percent of our people are 45 to 80. And it's like, and I like to say 45 might even be higher, but it's at least 30, 40 to 80 kind of thing. And why? We don't know. I think maybe women are smarter than us, John. Um, but I also believe that, you know, weight issues in society are what motivates them usually. They've usually gained a pound or two a year since high school or college. Now they're 30 to, you know, 100 pounds or more overweight. And they know in the diets that they've tried, all of them say reduce the white stuff, right? All of them know that they've tried to quit sugar and they know its reaction in their body. And so that's what brings them to see us, to motivate them. But remember, most of them come from the $78 billion diet industry. They don't come from the addiction recovery world. Like I said, a larger percentage is coming now. But um, And I have to literally unbrainwash them. I have to get them to the point that this is not uh, eat less and exercise more. This is substance use disorder recovery. And that I lose some folks to that because they don't want to, they just don't want to be involved in that, I guess. No, but, but, but I do believe, I do believe that it is. I know that it is. I mean, there's the, the, it's just a fact that it is. And I, and I've spoken with a lot of people in, um, OA, secular OA, Overeaters Anonymous. And I wonder how is that maybe, how is what you do different from that? Or is there any difference? That's a great question. So I think of myself as a 12 step anthropologist. Yeah, my mentor is a guy named William White. Okay. I I know. Your podcast because he's a brilliant guy wrote a lot of books about the history of recovery way before AA even Oh, I have his encyclopedia. Yeah, he's a guy, it's like encyclopedic, right? And the reason I bring that up is because I have studied the food groups inside out and backwards, right? And I know that OA's problem is they do not name an abstinence. That's That's right. That's the problem that you can do whatever you want. That's right. They define their own abstinence, don't they? Right. And those people suffer for decades, literally. I have a bunch of those people now. And the second groups are the offshoot groups who really discovered the cure. And we have to, but it was anecdotal. It was not scientific. They realized that if they went abstinent, flour, sugar, and flour, sugar, flour, and sugar, that they would, um, you know, the, the addiction would be in remission or whatever. And those folks have other strange anomalies, to, like weighing and measuring. Okay. And what we found is that, you know, over tens of thousands of people, only 10 to 15% are what we call volume addicts. And that is like, they've used, they figured out how to 
use the stretch receptors in their stomach to hack the dopamine again. Like back in the day, if you only found food every two or three days, you need to eat a lot of it. And then, you know, it lasts you a couple of days and the, the body was adapted for that. Well, we're not, we don't need that anymore. Right. What are stretch and adapters? It's this, not the stretch adapters. It's the stretch receptors. I'm sorry. I'm that wrong. The stretch receptors in our stomach allow the stomach to, to stretch and then, endorphins kick in dopamine kicks in everything kicks in because we're you know when we're when we eat to excess and our stomach is bulging and 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 growing you know what i mean it, it you're just eating way too much and it's a it's a it's an evolutionary adaption adoption adaption that we are hacking in a society where there isn't lack really you know and so weighing and measuring has become an issue that people rebel against in a lot of ways in 12 step stuff. And one last thing I think is this construct in that's not involved in any other 12 step groups that I know of is you can't speak for 90 days in a meeting. And like, like, where the hell did this come from? It's like, they all developed their own new stuff, but, um, and I have nothing against the programs for people. And then like you and I, the spirituality part is another issue that, what we've done in our programs, we have substituted the spiritual science for the spirituality. And, and, and we are vehement about it. We do this big summit every year, twice a year, actually, and bring on the world's leading experts and the leading research every, you know, every time. And so I think that it's a look, you know, I love the phrase in, in recovery, take what you like and leave the rest. And the answer for us is, the community is the answer. And the reason, whatever the things that I just mentioned in the, the food groups uh, that have repelled people, that they've told me why they came to see our group, is that, the, the, you know, there's a lot of peer-reviewed studies about community of everything. It doesn't matter if it's heart disease, cancer recovery. If you get in a support group, your, your recovery is much better. Your longevity is much better. So this is proven fact, and that, I think, has always been the strength of recovery groups. So you would define abstinence as complete abstinence from sugar, flour? Are those the two main things? In our group, we do caffeine, too. Uh, we find that about 10 to 15% of people can drink black coffee, but I still don't think it ends well. We don't have enough long-term data for that, um, but I still don't think it ends well. Um because it's affecting the same dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine. I mean, it's just playing with your brain reward chemicals. And in most people, it keeps the cravings alive. It's like when you get caffeine, you were, your, your body's thinking, where's the chocolate? Where's the, you know, where's the sugar in the coffee? You know, it's like it, it, they're very, very intertwined and the body's not that smart. It just wants. It doesn't want a sweet taste on your mouth. It wants a dopamine hit. What we're looking for with a drink or a drug, too. We're not looking for a t- nasty taste in booze or a shot in our arm. We're looking for that dopamine hit. Or And when I say, like I said, when I say dopamine, I mean the entire concept. People know what dopamine is. The other is not so much. I had a doctor tell me that it's not an addiction necessarily to a, a substance, but it's a, it's it's an addiction to the chemicals in your brain. <laughs> That's what we're addicted yeah. to. And they're the the facilitator, the 
in the sugar world, uh, very proven science that your dopamine receptors are down-regulated, they call it, and they're thinned out. You have less of them when you're abusing sugar. And so you're losing, you know, what God or nature, whatever your belief system uh, gave you, 10 million years of evolution gave you, you know? So, yeah, it's, uh, like I said, it takes about the arc of a an interview like this to get Put all the pieces that took us a decade or two to learn, you know? Well, I, th- I think, I think it's, I think you've got a great community going. It's, it's, it's amazing that you have as many people as you do. Um, I know that uh, the groups that I've been speaking with secular OA groups and so forth, um, they've been growing too, but not to the extent that you have, but you've been doing this for a while too. Yeah, it's been a while. I mean, sugar addiction has been up for 12, 10 or 12 years. And the groups themselves have been about four or five years old, really. I think I started my first meeting like oh, Tuesday night, I don't know, six, six, seven years, six years ago, something like that. Have you noticed an increase since COVID? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bill White, William White and I wrote an article in 2018 predicting the evolution of recovery. It's called The Future of Recovery. You can look it up. Um, is put Will William White, Mike Collins, future recovery in Google, it'll come up. And what, like we predicted this kind of stuff, but what COVID did was it just literally put it on steroids. It accelerated by a decade what was going to happen anyway, you know, because no one could go to meetings of any kind. So it became a, um, it, it was a little chaotic there for a little and bit. And so much easier to find Yes. To find you, you know, and to check it out and say, is this, you know, I'm kind of curious about this. This might, you know, might might be something that could help me. Uh, Everybody goes to Dr. Google, right? Right. They do. Yeah. yeah. They do. So they, they make it up and they, they stumble across it. So, and it's easier than, and I don't know if you've been through this, but I know I did when I went to my first couple of meetings. I sat in my car and wondered whether I was going in. You know, right? I I, I actually walked to the door for I, I think a week at least and went the other way. <laughs> and so you know, and you can keep your camera off on Zoom, and you can uh, like take your name out of it, and you can be really anonymous for a while, but and and see if it's for you, which I like. So, how can people find you and learn more about this? Sugaraddiction.com. I guess you said it's going to inter- or going to. This is interesting timing for the year, and we should talk about this afterwards. Um, is that uh, we have what we call the lar- world's largest sugar detox starting on January first? Oh, well, tell and, me about that. Uh, yeah, it's uh, we. You know, you've heard people do meditations together or chants, together, prayer together, whatever. So we all get together, and we, you know, we have all our affiliates and people that. Uh, health educators and stuff because a lot of health educators use us to get their folks off sugar and then they their protocol whatever their protocol was you know and so we all get together and we you know they go through my 30-day detox and so yeah it's a we call it sugar-free january sugar-free in 23 we got you know we got all the buzzwords for it but um and then on the 15th of january we start the quit sugar summit which is its 10th anniversary this and that's going to be uh, you can just go to quitsugarsummit.com and check that out but the best way to find me uh, is to go to sugaraddiction.com and download the free book the, we brought the amazon book home and we you know we gave it now we give it away for free but 
get you on the email list and notify you of whatever you're interested in. You'll see the emails, whatever. And uh, but the book's free, regardless, and and you can check it out. It's pretty, you know. It's comp- a lot of people just use the book and the forums, um, and they do fine. And some people want to get involved in the Zoom meetings or what have you. So it's there's a little bit for everybody. I'm going to try your um, January 1st um, sh- uh, sugar detox. I'm going to try that. It's What I like about that is it gives people an opportunity who are curious to say, what would this be like? And the, the same thing happens like with drinking. They have what was a dry January or whatever. And people who are just kind of curious, you know, what what would my life be like without alcohol? You know, and they find that, wow, I feel so much better. You know, that this is, it's even possible not to have this substance in my life. Yeah. Um, oh, the Super Curious movie is huge now. I love it. It's great. I like it so much because it takes the stigma and the labeling out of this whole issue. And it really helps people understand that it doesn't really matter. It's just that I want to do something that's healthy, good and healthy for me. I don't need to put any label on me. <laughs> I mean, this is one of my biggest uh, pet peeves and yours too, I'm sure is like, we got the biggest nonprofits in the world on K street, G street, Washington, DC, where all the nonprofits are housed, uh, trying to, they got, a, you know, they do a bunch of do, stuff, whatever events and trainings, but their main job is to tell the stories of recovering people so that they can reduce the stigma. And this is, this is what we're doing. You know, we're telling the stories of success stories of people. I mean, I I had to hire somebody to 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 start categorizing the success stories because it just took too much time. And, you know, we've got thousands of written testimonials of people that got together in the community and found a home. They felt like they were comfortable expressing because people like when you talk to a, a normal person, they're like, Ah, you can have one cookie. You know, don't worry about it. It's only one cookie. I baked it for you, you know, whatever. And so it's hard for folks to uh, put them down for like even 30 days. And we have a lot of folks just like you, like podcast groups and stuff where they do it with their community. Meaning, oh, good idea. Yeah, they, like they, they put it out to their information for their community. And then they kind of do it whatever, like I said, their protocol too, but they, they get everybody off sugar, you know? Wow. That's a good idea. Actually. I think I'm, I think I'm going to do that. It's like, I mean, this is something that, um, um, I've always kind of considered, but just recently, um, my wife and I have just, I've actually lost a lot of weight, but my wife and I just decided not to keep like junk food around. So it's not necessarily focused on sugar, but just not having the crap around and not having it around. Um, I'm not eating. I'm not eating it. I'm feeling better. Well, one, yeah, and and I say it's crap, and it is. I mean, I I had this um, experience the other day at work. I, I walked by this vending machine. I looked at the stuff that's in it, and I I honestly had this reaction. I thought that's not even food. <laughs> what the hell is that? It's a experiment. <laughs> You're right. It's not food. No. And- you do have to eat whole food to get off this stuff, which is hard for some folks because they are used to takeout and they're used to boxes and bags and cans and warming stuff up. Uh, so you do have to cook a little, sort of. I mean, that's sort of you do. Yeah, you do. 
And, but that could actually be enjoyable. I, I have a friend of mine who enjoys the process of just preparing food. That for her, it's meditative just to chop vegetables or whatever. Me too. I find this really the only time where I'm out of my brain. Uh, it's like I don't. Have you're focused to, on that activity. On it, right? That and gardening. I, I, it's like I don't, I don't. I'm not thinking about work or money or whatever. You know, I'm thinking about um, just that. And you're doing <laughs> I mean, something that's good for well, you. All religious. Say I'm in the moment. You know. Yeah. So, is there anything that um, you'd like to talk about that we left out that we didn't cover? Not really. Did a great job, like kind of walking us through, walking me through the, the you know, the, the history, not so much my history, but the history of the evolution, what I believe is more of a movement than it is, uh, you know, anything. And it's going to take time. I have to, you know, I, I, I guess what I would say is that I'd like to future pace people a little bit, meaning you have to pull back a little bit. Like you said, like, what would it be like for 30 days without it kind of thing? But you have to look at it like seatbelts in cars, drinking and driving, smoking in public places, condoms in bathrooms. In our lifetime, all of these things have changed societally, uh, stigma-wise. They've all changed, right? Everything is different. Like smokers are now aliens from another planet, you know, if they're standing outside the building. When I was young, drinking and driving was just pat you on the head. Don't exactly get caught. Exactly same. Mm-hmm. Now you get caught drinking and driving, you are a social pariah. You know what I mean? And and you used to be able to smoke in the back of planes. We smoked, we smoked everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I smoked at restaurants. You go to a restaurant, you're like, you're, all your clothes are terrible, you know? So all that's changed in our lifetime. We've got to see the evolution and I guarantee you that 50 years from now, they're going to say, you know, they used to give sugar to kids, right? It's going to be a completely different world only because of the science. It's going to, they're going to prove, and they already have, but most people don't know about it. Uh, for the one, for the first time in history, there was a little bit of a change in the food pyramid where they said zero added sugar for children under five, zero. So there's been some changes, but they're slow, you know? And but I, I just want people to realize that if they're thinking about this, their kids and their grandkids are going to be bragging on them in 10 years saying mom was way ahead of this thing, you know? Well, Mike, you're a huge asset to the recovery community. Thank you for everything that you're doing. Um, I'm glad that I talked with you. I'm, I'm very fortunate doing this podcast because I get to speak with therapists and and people that bring information to me that I might not have gotten otherwise and kind of helps me improve, you know, so thank you for that. And I know it'll help my listeners here too as well. I love that. I uh, do those interviews. I, I think you're right. I, and I always say to myself, if I get my questions answered, everything else goes fine. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm just trying to learn more myself. Well, it was so nice to see you again. And and let's not wait three or four years next time that you come on. Please. Please. And I'm definitely attend that thing again. That's another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety. Thank you for listening. 
If you'd like to support our podcast with recurring monthly contributions, head on over to patreon.com slash beyondbeliefsobriety or become a member of our YouTube channel. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, then visit our website beyondbeliefsobriety.com and click on the donate button. I do appreciate your support. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again real soon with another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety.